Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 728 with Mike Ripka. Sort of gave me the hope of like, you know, yeah, you can, you can be a business owner. You don't have to be a prick. Like, you know, you can love your people. You can, you know, love on them. You can develop them. And just, you know, I got to hear stories about, you know, guys that were bussers that, you know, were running their own restaurants now. And- Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Margin Edge is the only restaurant management system to combine automatic invoice processing with POS and accounting integrations. This improves financial performance, visibility, and efficiency. Their own CEO owns two restaurants, and he personally has felt the impact of COVID-19. And as a result, Margin Edge has decided the best way to support their network is by giving their full platform free for new customers until September. To learn more, go to me.margineedge.com slash restaurant hyphen unstoppable. Let me tell you about a little green book that will change your life if you're anything like me and your strengths are with people, not numbers. It's called QuickBooks for Restaurants, a bookkeeping and accounting guide by Zach Weiner. This is the back office restaurant accounting guide you've been searching for, and trust me, it will change your life. Ultimately, Zach shows owners and operators how to create the accurate financials and reportings that will enable them to make better informed, data-driven decisions to learn more and to get a copy of Zach's book, head to ZachWeiner.com slash unstoppable. That's Z-A-C-W-E-I-N-E-R.com slash unstoppable. And if you use that link, my listeners will save 50% off a one-on-one consulting call, but you got to use that link or use promotional code. Don't stop. Find out why Toast POS is the number one recommended restaurant POS system on Restaurants Unstoppable. If you're going to survive this upcoming recession, you have got to adapt. And you can't just adapt. You have to adapt fast. With Toast's cloud-based restaurant POS, your system will update to evolve along with changing industry trends and guest expectations. To learn more, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, for a limited time, you will get one month free POS software, three months of free digital ordering tools, and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000, but you've got to use our links. What's going on, Unstoppables? Today, we have Mike Ripka on the show. Torchy's Tacos, a staple here in Austin, Texas. And uh, this is a guy that's been on my radar for some time now. So it was uh, really exciting for me to get him on the show. Uh, He's so well-respected, and you'll find out why. Before we get into that interview, i got to remind you that we have Toast as our sponsor. That's a CPA sponsorship. So that means... We don't get paid unless you use our link and become a customer. But here's the thing. You could not have been on their radar before using the link. So that means if you went to toast.com and engaged with one of their bots or anything like that, you're on their radar. They are going to give that lead to one of their bots. So right now, if you're interested in Toast because of all the times you've heard it being recommended on the show and just 
you know that maybe Restaurant Stoppable pushed you over the edge, do me a favor, pause this right now, uh, head to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. It will literally take seconds. It's your first name, last name, your business, and your email. That's all you got to fill out. You'll be on their radar. We'll get credit. You'll get a $1,000 check from us, and Toast will give you up to $1,000 worth of incentives when you're ready to buy. So yeah, kind of a no-brainer. Take advantage of it. Awesome stuff. Uh, okay, we have Mike Ripka on the show from Torchy's Tacos. So, man, uh, a legend throughout Austin, slowly expanding out of the Austin area. In today's conversation, we're going to be talking about why you should move on from a restaurant after two years of working there, working in a different areas of hospitality to get you know a, a broad sense of experience and perspective, letting your team be a part of the creative process, gamifying the work, giving people room to be creative and add value to your organization organization, how much better the culture is when owners are fewer places removed from the bottom of the hierarchy, doing some unique things to stand out in your market. So for example, with Torchy's tacos, like out of the box tacos are, you know, things that weren't normal, uh, not, not traditional, right? Uh, Gorilla marketing, uh, basically what Mike did early on is he got on his Vespa and he was giving out food. Um, the power of guerrilla marketing and just getting your food into people's mouths. And then lastly, um, knowing your lane and trusting others who are strong where you're weak and just getting out of their way. It's a great episode. Here it is. With excitement, <laughs> allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Mike Ripka. My man, Mike, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm feeling very unstoppable, uh, sir. Yes. Good to see you. Oh, man, I cannot wait to be here. You've been on my list for a while, and we, we got it. We locked you down, man. I know this is going to be a good one. So hailing from Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C., Mike Ripka got his start in the restaurant industry as a fry cook at Popeye's. He found his passion for cooking during his time working at a country club in Spring, Springfield, Virginia, from there, he attended Johnson & Wales University in North Miami, Florida. This experience earned him a place with the Marriott, which took him to California and eventually Texas, where he worked in corporate settings until he left the corporate scene for Chewy's in the mid-2000s. Two years later, at the age of 32, it was time for Ripka to do his own thing, and in 2006, Torchies was born. 14 years later, Mike serves Torchies as founder and chairman, and the brand has scaled to 17 locations in the Austin Metroplex area in over 75 locations in all. Man, I cannot wait to get into your story, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? I'd say the one that I think of the most, and we use in our company a lot, is the devil's in the details. Ooh, the devil's in the details, and I love what you did there with the the being on brand. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, Dive into that. So basically, you know, restaurants uh, for me have it's, it's about the experience for the guest, and with that comes a lot of details. There's just a ton that goes on behind the scenes that people don't even think about or. You know, nor should they. I mean, they're coming in. They're coming in to eat a damn good taco. They want a good experience. They want to have a great drink at the bar. They want to leave happy, you know, whether they're with friends or with family. And so a lot of those details, just, you know, everything from how you open the doors in the morning, making sure you got your staff there, you got the right staff in the right places. Do you have the right product coming in the door? Did it get in the door? You know, is all your prep list done? 
is you know is the tomatoes you received from the produce guy are they great tomatoes mm. do you have ripe mangoes for the tacos do you have are your meats marinated long enough lots is of your, details is your kitchen <laughs> clean um you know and then there's the whole you know piece around you know you, you can't be in business and lose money so how do you make that profitable a lot of that's due to scheduling how much, you know, what's your portioning like, um, you know, just all of the above. I'm sure we'll dive into a lot of that, but, but one thing I want to pull back the layer on, something that comes up a lot in the show is people have, a, one of their biggest challenges is trusting their their people that they surround themselves to deliver on the, the level of detail that they would if they were doing it themselves, right? Yeah. Um, what, what's one thing that you do now that you've scaled to over 75 locations, what things are you doing to make sure that that level of detail is echoing throughout every person that's on your team? So we've we've worked hard as a group, especially over the last two or three years, to really you know think through and develop kind of our core values. Mm. And so we use the acronym uh, Torch, uh, which stands for tenacity, originality, respect, community, and honor. Mm-hmm. And we preach those a lot. We talk about them a lot. Um, a lot of our team members talk with their team members about it. And what that does is that sort of just reigns in the culture around, you know, how we think about things, why we do the things we do. Um, You know, it's been hugely important. uh, You know, those values have come to life big time during this whole Corona pandemic. Uh, A lot of tenacity, a lot of originality, a lot of respect and, you know, those things. And so it's just been that's been the, the main thing that I think has, has really helped, especially as we've you know gotten bigger and have scaled and we've got stores in different states. And I love how you made it sticky by making it an acronym. That's so close to your brand, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, powerful tool there. Um, maybe this will come up later as our conversation unfolds, but I don't want to get too, ho- uh, too far ahead of ourselves. Let's bring it back to when you knew that this was going to be your path and you started living intentionally to, to climb that ladder. In terms of what, like just so I know, like I know a little bit about your story. I know that you started in Popeyes, but you didn't really know this was going to be your path until you met a mentor at a country club, correct? Yeah. So I, I, um, you know, I was lived with a single mom. Uh, it was me and her mostly, and um, you know, if I wanted money to go do fun stuff, I had to go earn it on my own. Um, so I got a job at Popeyes. And I enjoyed it. Um, you know, it was a good way to make money. It wasn't too hard. Um, it was a lot of work, but you know, I didn't mind working. And I've always kind of had those values just kind of my whole life. And my parents worked really hard, so I got taught that early on. And um, I guess by the time I got to that country club, which was probably my third job in high school, um, after Popeye's, I went, I was a busboy and a line cook at a place called La Peep, which was kind of a breakfast concept. And um, when I was at the country club, that's where I kind of found sort of like, oh, this is what food can be like, right? Yep. Like, you know, we were doing lots of big buffets and fancier dishes and, you know, working with filet mignon and you know, back then, like everybody was carving fruit and doing these big aspic trays and all this stuff. So it was very artistic. And um, I just really enjoyed it. And, you know, the funny thing is I struggled when I got there. I, the chef, his name was Brian. Okay. He was a bit of a mentor to me early on. And, um, you know, he almost fired me after a couple, you, couple weeks struggling? being there. Take that picture. What were you, what were you struggling <laughs> uh, with? Well, my knife skills weren't great. <laughs> um 
you know, it took me twice as long as everybody else to get prep done and things like that. And I just, I hadn't had the chops yet. Mm. And so I went and got another job sort of part time and I was getting ready to turn in my notice because I could just feel it breathing <laughs> down his neck every time he'd yeah. walk in and sort of shake his head at me. And I don't, something about that other job just sort of sped me up a little bit. And it was at the Southwest place. So it was um, another job within the food and beverage industry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, it was, but it was hard. It was a late night kind of Tex-Mex place in Old Town, Virginia. I don't even remember the name of it now, but I uh, only worked there for a couple of weeks. Okay. But I'd was work, you know, your shift didn't get over till three, four in the morning. And that was pretty hard. Yeah. And um, so I, um, Anyway, so my my skills, you know, for whatever reason, they finally caught on. Okay. And I was getting a lot faster, a lot more accurate, and just, you know. And so he said, hey, man, I want to give you a second chance and take you under my wing and, and teach you. You got a lot of potential. You just, you know, got to put your head down and really get after Did it. Did he ever say what it was that he saw in you, what the potential was? You know, I th- I th- he liked my attitude. I was, you know, I, he could see that I cared because I'd get frustrated with myself yeah. that I couldn't quite do what I was trying to but do. But you wanted to do it. But I wanted to do good. Yeah. And um, so I think, I think that, and it reminded him of another gentleman who he sort of took under his wing, who at that point would started kind of struggling a little bit. Um, and he had worked himself up to a sous chef. And, um, so he kind of saw me as somebody that, Hey, he could start to develop yeah. and, and work with. And the reason why I'm pulling back the layers here, I love to say it is every master was once a disaster and you oh, have yeah. to remember that. Cause yes, like, you, you, you know, you go, you work, you, you start sharpening your own skills and then you surround yourself with other people who are good at what they do. And every once in a while as a leader, you have to bring somebody on who's green, who just, you got to try to put yourself in their perspective and realize that they just don't know yet, yeah. but you got to look for the things like you had, which is, do they have a desire to want to be better? Mm-hmm. If they have that desire to want to be better, you can do anything with them. And they, he knew that. And, he, and that's something that I think we all have to be mindful of. And I want to give, is it Brian? Yeah. I want to give him a nod because I think it's so important that if we see something in somebody, it's our duty to let them know that they have something because yeah. we don't know otherwise. Do you want to reflect on that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, he taught me a couple things. Um, you know, one, he, you know, once I sort of kind of proven myself and my chops got better like he was more willing to like show me some more stuff Mm. and he saw that you know i'd show up to work on time i'd stay late if i needed to stay late i'd work extra shifts you know i just kind of did whatever it took to get things done and um so it was you know i i he the other thing he taught me was he taught me that um you know hey if you're going to do this career you know at least for the first five, 10 years, don't work anywhere, you know, don't stay anywhere longer than two years. Now that's not maybe your typical advice that you'd give somebody. It's great advice though. But what, and the reason he said that, and I I learned that after the fact was that, you know, there's so much to be learned, Mm. especially in the culinary industry to like go out and, you know, hone your skills. And there's so many different types of cuisines different ways people do things. And so I took that to heart. And the other thing he taught me was always hire people better than you. Mm, Yes. Why is that so important? And well, I think what, so what it allows for is, you know, first off it takes your ego out, right? Like, you know, and, and that for a lot of people, especially chefs, that cannot be an easy thing for them. Um, but he saw that. And I learned that pretty early on is that like, 
look, I may be great at some things, but there's some things I'm just not that great at. And why struggle, find someone who's great at it, provide them an opportunity and let them grow into that role. And they make you successful and they also get to succeed themselves. Yes, I love it. And they say that the peak of uh, emotional intelligence is self-awareness and being willing to admit where you're strong and where you're weak. And that's not easy to do. It's a big pill to swallow, uh, but it's so powerful once you know when and where to get out of the way and yeah. surround yourself with people who are better than you. Exactly. Um, so that's a great lesson to learn early on. Um, the other thing I love, the, this idea of a, a minimum of, or no more than two years, right? But I'm going to compound on that and say, do at least one year, mm-hmm. unless unless you're doing a stage or le- unless it's an agreement, because it's easy to burn bridges in this industry too. <laughs> yeah. and you don't want to just like let somebody train you how to do something, and six months later, be like, thanks for the skills, on to the next. That's not a great way. Yeah, well, agree his, or disagree with that? Yeah, his his point on the two years um, was mainly because, well, one it. One, you sort of get to develop into a role, and then you take that next year and you kind of perfect it. Yeah. And it also allows you to expand your horizons within that role and catch some other things. Yeah, be intentional, right? Yeah, and so a year's really pretty quick. Yeah. Um, You know, and to your point, like, you don't want to just bounce all over the place. And you want to have good job history, so you, you can't do it. And you want to respect the people you work for. That's, and, what, the, that's what the stage is for, right? <laughs> yeah, and he and he his point was not so much that you like change companies every two okay. years, but that you stay in a role for nice. two years. Smart. So you could work in the same company, but you know, always be looking for the next thing, trying to move up, doing a different role. You know, maybe you're a chef today, maybe tomorrow you're a food and beverage manager. Yeah. So I know that um, eventually you. Um, you you went to school for a little bit to focus on counseling, right? Yeah. So you you weren't quite sold on this as a career at this point in your life. Why not? Well, restaurants are hard business. A um, lot of nights, a lot of weekends. I spent a lot of my high school and then college years missing out on lots of parties, lots of road trips yep. across the country, lots of beach trips. And, um, so it was not, uh, you know, I knew I was giving something up there. Um, and I was like, God, man, I don't know if I can commit to a life of all these nights and weekends, you know, I think you're indefinitely sm- you're smart to have that conversation with yourself. Cause it is a huge sacrifice. You've got to yeah. really be willing to, to, you know, give that up. Yeah. And so I, so I thought, well, you know, I like to help people. Maybe I could go into counseling and, you know, help young people. You know, I had some struggles early on as a teenager and stuff. And, you know, maybe I could do some good there. And so uh, I started into that. And I well, maybe I was two months into school, maybe a month and a half. And I had gone to some of the, uh, what do they call those, when the colleges come and make it a pitch at your high school. Oh, a college fair day or something. Yeah. Something like that. And so, um, and I had gotten some culinary school pamphlets, but they were kind of buried in my closet. And I literally woke up out of my sleep and I was like, dude, what the F are you doing, man? Like (laughs) you need to, you should be a chef. Like, you know, stop it. And, um, and so I couldn't go to sleep. I got super excited. I was like, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm passionate about. I love to cook. Um, I think the irony of that too is what you wanted to be a counselor. The reasons why you wanted to be a counselor was because 
you want to be able to help young people. And mm-hmm. then, and I don't think, maybe you weren't mindful of this then, that, but that's exactly what the best chefs do. They're, it's all about mentoring and passing down that knowledge and, and building people up. And I think that's our duty as chefs and business owners. And, yeah. and that seems to be built into you. Yeah, yeah. So that, that I mean, I definitely, later on in my career, I've been able to help a lot of yeah. people and provide a lot of opportunities. So you, you still were able to be a counselor. Yeah, all. yeah. And, you know, and I do stuff outside of work, you know, to still help people. So, yeah. you know, and we do a lot in our organization as well. That's so. right. So um, you're on this new path. Uh, I know you ended up going to Johnson & Wales, uh, Miami. Why Miami? So they had only been open a year, um, and I... Providence, Rhode Island just sounded way too cold. Uh, <laughs> I'm from New Hampshire, man. Even I though it. I was in D.C., I was like, oh. That, and I, I I, purposely went up there in the winter to visit the school because I wanted Smart. to see. There was literally like sheets of ice coming off of 18-wheelers. <laughs> I was dodging as I was driving up 95. And uh, I was just like, God, it's freaking cold up here. Um, and the other thing, um, I, I think they had – North Carolina open at that point. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, so I I also knew that, like, you know, Florida is kind of the hub of basically the hospitality industry. You've got what everything you now? can I'm imagine. This was 94. Okay. And, um, you know, you've got hotels. You've got cruise ships. Disney you've World. got catering, Disney World. Yeah. You've got high-end restaurants, low-end, I mean, you got everything, and all the culture, and it's, the winters are pretty damn nice down in Miami, yeah. um, and so I, that, that's where I picked, and uh, I knew I'd have lots of opportunities, I think I went and talked to that, uh, Chef Brian about that, like, hey, what do you think, he's like, do go to Miami, there's, <laughs> there's, you know, good-looking girls, you know, there's all kinds of good stuff going on down there, so, uh, but the main thing was just all the, access to the different sort of fields of hospitality. And I, I got to work in a lot of different areas of hospitality down there. Nice. So what was your approach? What was your mindset when you were in college for anybody who's listening, who might be at that point in their life? I'd say for me, you know, I think it's different for different industries, but in the food industry, it, you know, the degree is one thing you definitely want to do that, but really you know, you, you gotta be in restaurants, you gotta be working, you gotta be checking stuff out. And so I did all kinds of different stuff while I was down there. I did kosher catering. I was uh, a chef at the Shriners club for a little while. It's the only job I ever got fired from. Cause I screwed, <laughs> I screwed oh, up the corned beef one Friday night. That just one good. night. That's all it took. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. They fired my ass. Um, and so I did that. Um, you know, I worked at Fisher Island. I got to cook uh, for the Summit of the Americas for all the presidents. Man, that's awesome. All over Latin America. I worked at a real fine dining place called uh, Mark's Place down there. Um, did tons of events. Um, big, huge event. This is when, like, sort of the celebrity chef thing was starting to take off. Norman okay. Van Aikman was real hot back then. Wolfgang Puck was starting to get hot out in California. Mark Militello was who I worked for for a while. He was getting hot. And so I just would, you know, anytime there was some big event like that, I would just roll my sleeves up and figure out how I could, you know, I'd chop parsley. Yeah. I didn't care. Did just, you learn any lessons like subconsciously maybe working for Mark the, the, on how to basically create a, create a brand around yourself? Was that anything that you think you leveraged? 
No, I mean I've I've never necessarily like Torchies is 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 way bigger than Mike Ripka. It's it really is. It's not about me. I mean, I, obviously I founded it, so I get a lot of the accolades for that. But it's um, more what I learned in that experience was just. I mean, he was doing stuff back then that you know was probably twenty years ahead of his time. Yeah, and like what? um. You know, like fried calamari on pizza and, you know, he was doing oak rotisserie duck. We were using things like salsify root. Mm. We were using all these Caribbean flavors and blending Asian flavors into it. Uh, Zigging when everyone else is zagging. Yeah, he was doing all kinds of stuff. And, um, And it was just really fun. We had a big chef's table meeting every day before the shift. The menu rotated every day. There was probably 36 items on the menu that changed every day. Um, it was a pretty intense place. I'm loving this conversation, but I think you're still like only 20 years old at this point. Yeah, I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I know you spent some time with Marriott. Uh, I think yeah. it's worth absolutely staying there, but I also don't want to cut you short. Is there anything else up to this point that we that needs to come out? No, I think, you know, college was a good experience. I learned a lot. Um like I said, I, I did, you know, I worked everywhere I could work and, um, I graduated, I ended up getting a hospitality degree from FIU okay. after Johnson and Wales. So I did two years there and I came back home and, uh, back to DC and started looking for a job. And, uh, my first job out of college was at, uh, the world bank, worked a couple shifts at, uh, the country club for a while just to keep some food yep. on the table and I uh, luckily Brian uh, took me back and um, and then I got uh, got there. I got hired as an assistant manager, like starting salary was like 28 grand a year. Okay. wasn't much. That's great in the, the mid 90s. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Um, and then about a month and a half after I was there, the uh, the chef got promoted to a GM at another place. And um, they asked me, say, hey, Mike, you want to be the chef? How long were you there for? I was there for about a year, a, year. Okay. a little over a year. Um, and I kind of looked at him like, holy shit. Okay. We were feeding <laughs> three to 4,000 people a day. I had 75 people underneath me just in the kitchen alone. You're 22 years old. I'm 22 <laughs> years old. Um, literally my first two, three weeks of being the chef, I could like feel and see people laughing at me walking in the kitchen. Really? How'd that make you feel? Uh, it was intimidating for sure. Um, and I got it. Um, so there was a gentleman there who helped actually open that cafe. Um, it was like a real high end kind of food court. And so if you imagine each station was sort of a representative of a place in the world, like we had a Pacific Asian station, we had Indian food, we had African food, we had Mediterranean, French, um, just all different areas of the world. And we did about 52 entrees a day that wow. changed every day. Damn. And probably for each entree, each station, there was probably four to six sides. And those changed daily as well. Um, we bought rice by the pallets. I never <laughs> knew. I like, I never knew like, God, man, people love rice everywhere, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so, uh, you know, his name was Kim San. He was an Asian gentleman, and he uh, he really helped me kind of said, you know, look, 
these guys are going to respect you. You just got to work side by side with them. And so, and that's what I did. You know, I got up in their business, asked them lots of questions. I'd have little cutting competitions with them. Like, Hey, I bet you I can break this case of broccoli down faster than you can. And, um, give out little prizes to people when they'd beat me. Um, sometimes I'd beat them and I was always just being very helpful and really getting to know them as people. So the big things I'm hearing from you are getting to know them as people, uh, um, and getting up in their business. Like what do you, is that what you mean by getting up in their business? Like really just like learning about them? Yeah. Just really learning about them. Like, Hey, where are you from? You know, there was probably out of those 75 people, there's probably 26 different countries represented. Um, being that it was the world bank. And so there was a lot, a lot of these people were cousin, aunts, uncles, moms, dads, uh, you know, siblings of people that worked in the World Bank. And so I was just real curious about their cultures. Like, mm. well, what's it like in Thailand? What's it like in Jamaica? What's it like, you know, down in Oaxaca, you know, Mexico? And, and so I just asked a lot of questions. I've always been that way. I've been super curious. I'm, I asked tons of questions. And, um, you know, so that, that's really what I mean by getting up in their business, just really getting to know them as people and what they're about and what makes them tick. And- I love this, man. And if you want people to take an interest in you, the best way to do that is by taking an interest in them. Exactly. And, yes. and that's what, you know, that's the big underlying message there. You also ask them for their opinion on stuff in doing so you learned about them. You found out what knowledge they had and you let them weigh in. What's the power of letting them weigh in? Well, so, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. So about a month and a half after I was the chef, they came to me and said, hey, Mike, we want you to redo the menu. And I was like, holy shit. Like, (laughs) what do I know about African food, right? I mean, it was kind of on autopilot at that point. Um, They all knew how to make the dishes and I just sort of would support them. And then, so now I had to go and like basically recreate this menu. There was about 25% I couldn't touch that were sort of like the holy grail items. But I changed about 75% of the menu. And if you can imagine, that's a lot of food to have to come up with. You had, like you had to lean on your team. You, how else would you have done it? You know, that's a lot to do for one person. Yeah. And so I, I would ask them like, you know, Hey man, if I want to make really good pad thai, like what do you use? Like I got these cookbooks. I know you're not putting, I know they don't use soy sauce for that. Like that's, that's more Japanese, you know, or whatever, you know, whatever the case, you know, like what makes a great, Ethiopian dish like what are the chilies you use I know it's not cayenne pepper or maybe you do use it I don't know like what do y'all use over there and so really um that helped me sort of you know lean on them they felt appreciated in the sense of like god this guy really cares about how to make an authentic dish for my country yeah and and, um so it got a lot of respect from the employees and I learned a lot yeah I love it and the other thing that I think we have to put a little bit emphasis on is this idea of friendly competition, right? Gamification. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like you're doing that. Like you're, you're there shoulder to shoulder trying to, you know, you're setting the pace, but you're, you're not just showing them like, this is how you do it. You're making it fun. What's the secret to that and the impact of that? So mainly just, um, you know, making it fun. I, you know, I always made sure there was music in the kitchen. Um, we'd tell lots of jokes, laugh a lot. Um, I'm like, if you're not, you know, we're here, 40, 50, 60, 80 hours a week, like, let's have fun doing it. You know, it's just, um, and so some of the, you know, some of the games we would do would be that, um, you know, just 
a lot of those little contests and, um, you know, we kind of rib each other and, and have fun with each other. And, um, and it just, it, it just really kind of creates this camaraderie, yeah. you know, well, almost like you're, you know, you're all, you're all in a battle. Let's go arm in arm and, and, and let's win the battle today. Yeah. And what's, the, how do you find the balance of, of making it friendly and fun? And you said giving each other a little jab shots in the ribs or whatever. I can't remember exactly what you said. Um, how do you not take it too far? What's, how do you find that balance in a very politically correct and safe world that we have to be in today? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, well, some of that self-awareness, right? Like knowing who you are and also knowing who you're dealing with. Mm. I think you learn what can be done and what can't know be done audience. by knowing your audience, you know? Yeah. And um, I mean, it was never like, you know, hey, shorty or anything like that. It was, wasn't those kind of jabs, more just like, hey, man, that's a little too much salt in that stew, brother. You know, it was <laughs> yeah. those kind of jabs, yeah. right? Like just, you kind know. natured. Yeah, just about what the job was, mm. you know? And so that was, that was the things that we would sort of rib each other on, you know? And, and the other thing is like, I'd make stuff and I'd take it to 10 people and say, Hey, what do you think of the soup? What do you think of the sauce? What does it need? And I think they, that got them comfortable so that when I'd go to them and give them feedback about something they made, yes, that it was it was a give and take. Yes, like, you know, hey, it's okay to tell me this is too spicy or not spicy enough. You're or, establishing that culture that yeah. it's this isn't about you; it's about the process. Exactly, and it's about what we're trying to do together. And you have to establish that two way street, that two way road of communication. Uh, you have to let them know that they're able to give you feedback when it's time. Yeah, um, I love it. Did I cut you short? No, you're good. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I'm loving this conversation. Uh, I'm sure we could learn so much more from just this time at uh, what was the World Bank, right? Yeah. Uh, but you also, I know you went to California. Um, you had some experiences with Disney and uh, was it MTV? Was yep. that the name? Um, yeah. So it was MTV Networks, okay. um, and there was a bunch of other people in that building, um, and it was sort of their LA headquarters. Did lots of catering um, back when they were doing music videos a lot back in those days, and uh, we did that. And then we also took over uh, the Disney Animation Studios and did all the food service for that. I helped open Interscope Records. Uh, they had a little cafe in there. And I was also a regional chef uh, and did a lot of international cuisine classes when I was out in California. Nice. So, Because nice. I'd, I'd gotten a lot of chops from being in D.C. And so they'd bring me in and I'd do classes on like Indian food or, you know, and I found some great vendors that, um, had some bases of things that to where you didn't have to have 18,000 ingredients for one curry dish, you know, maybe you had, you know, the base of it and you'd add another six ingredients and you still get this badass curry or whatever. So, gotcha. um, so I'd help train some of those things that help with procurement. Um, I'd help, uh, find, you know, sometimes oddball ingredients. I did some menu writing while I was out there. Um, and then just, you know, had to run my units and make sure they were all good. So was there one big lesson that you can pull from that time of your life when you're in California? Because I know you still, after this, you go to Houston. Then you go, that's when you finally, after Houston, Texas, you were at Chewy's for a while. I want to make sure we leave a little space for that. Yeah, so I, um, you know, the big lesson there, um, I felt like I was, I started felt owning and okay, I'm a chef now, Okay, you know, and I, I started sort of owning that part of myself and I've got something to offer. Mm. And so it was kind of honing some more of my management skills, 
uh, you know, I had uh, a little more of a, you know, I was managing managers now. And so that was, I was starting to learn how to do that. So take us, paint that picture of where your management skills were getting there and where they were when you left. How did you evolve as a manager during that time? So I was, you know, I had a lot of staff, you know, but they were mostly just hourly staff. And then I worked with folks. I wasn't really in charge of them. So when I got to LA, at first I was just the chef at MTV in that whole building. And then we got the Disney account. And so I oversaw both of them. So I had people that I had to manage in both places. So learning how to sort of get my vision carried out, but then also work with some as a higher caliber or maybe same caliber as you or even better. Um, and so how to develop them, how to let them succeed. And, um, you know, I use some of the same principles I did with the hourly staff as far as just, you know, making it fun and stuff. But at the same time, like, you know, here's someone who's accomplished, you know, let's let them shine a little bit. Like, and same kind of thing, just what kind of ideas, a lot of back and forth, and really just having this open dialogue environment to let everybody's sort of ideas be heard. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're applying, but how do you do that in a way when, you, when you're um, applying these skills that you'd use in hourly uh, employees, but now when you're managing managers and people who might be of a higher caliber of you, what things do you need to keep in the back of your mind uh, to, to not be um, maybe disrespectful or questioning of their ability? Uh, how, how do you balance that? So I, you know, um, there's a quote out there, seek to understand rather than seek to understand. First seek to it. understand, then seek to be understood. Yeah, I think exactly. it's seven habits of highly effective people. Yeah. yeah. And so um, really the, the way you do that is you really understand who and what they're about and, and what they have and what they're bringing to the table. Um, and then the other thing is, is having some trust and some faith in individuals like giving them rope, you know, okay. You think you got, you know, you want to try this, let's try it. Let's see what happens, you know? And sometimes you let them fail. And then a lot of times they really succeed. And so, Providing that environment for them, I think, is is hugely helpful. And so I, I started learning that, like basically, you know, giving them the chance to to rise up and, and do what they do, yeah. and what, what they're good at. I love you know? it. I love it. So you're still with Marriott when you come out to Houston, right? You're, yep. You never left the company. So you took, you took Brian's advice, man. You were with Marriott for like eight years and you were jumping around like every two years. Yeah. 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 And so it, at that point it was, it had switched from Marriott to Sodexo had bought in that portion of the business. Um, that was about right when I got out to LA was when that deal was final. And so some friends from the world bank called me and said, Hey, we got this great opportunity. It's a place in Houston, this place called Enron. <laughs> we all know how that ended. Yep. Uh, and I learned a lot of good lessons there. So it was going to be the state-of-the-art cafe with fresh bakery, homemade pasta, a bunch of different stations. Not really international per se, but we we're going to have sushi. We we're going to have all these different things, um, all homemade, all done in front of you, um, okay. sort of early version of what you see in like a food hall in New York gotcha. now. Okay. So it was that sort of ambiance and, um, got out there. There was an existing building. They were, they had 
erected the second tower. It was already built. We were The kitchen was pretty much finished out. And I was working on the menu and hiring everybody, and then the stock market scandal just yeah. tanked the company. And um, yeah, I had to lay off uh, 65 people. Damn. For some reason, they decided since I was the new guy and I didn't have history with a lot of them, that was the guy who was going to lay everybody <laughs> off. And uh, that was not fun. I sat at a table somewhat like this with a line of 10 to 20 people at a time basically coming to ask me, Hey, what's my fate with, you know, my career or working with you guys. And, you know, I think we only found jobs for maybe like 24 oh, people man, That's rough. out of the, out of 65 or 80 of them. I mean, is there a, like a life lesson an underlying lesson that you, you took from, you said you learned a lot from this time, but is there one thing that like really like stuck with you? Well, I think, so what that lesson taught me, and you kind of referred to this earlier, like, you know, I, I think up until that point, I'd maybe been a little too loosey goosey with my staff and a little too friendly. Not, not that you can be too friendly, but I guess, you know, sometimes in, you just, you, for, you forget that like business is business, right? Like there's things that need to happen. Sometimes you can't give a guy all the hours they want. Yeah. You can't, um, you know, you still have to make business decisions yeah. that affect people, you know, and those are hard conversations to have. And so it taught me that, um, you know, we, this is still a business. It was, it was a hard lesson. I literally, that took about three days to do that. And each night I came home and just, i you know, got tears in my eyes because it was just, it was awful, you know? Yeah. And and some of the people we laid off have been with the company for 20 years, Ugh. but because of their skill set and whatever, they just didn't have a spot for them. Yeah. And I wasn't making that call. I was just a messenger, you yeah. know? And so, um, you know, so I just learned, you know, and I learned a lot more, I think on a deeper level, having compassion for yeah. people as well. Um, so those were the two big takeaways from that. Um, and you know, Hey, business happens yeah. and some, it affects people's lives. And you're, you are still working for, uh, Marriott at this point, they're contracting Marriott out, yeah. right? So you still had a job. You're still working with Marriott. You're still safe. Um, you weren't getting a, ch a paycheck from en Enron. No, no. So, but that account closed obviously. And, um, so I did a couple things in Houston for a couple months and then they found me a position in Austin to be the head chef for Dell. That's another service. company you might've heard of. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> Especially uh, in the, this is the early two thousands, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's, um, there's about, I want to say there's 13 or 14 cafes at Dell at that time. So this is in their heyday and they also had manufacturing down there. Um, so we did the food service for that. And I think our catering business was something like five or 6 million bucks a year Damn. on top of all the stuff we did in the cafes. Wow. And, um, we do catering, especially at end of quarter stuff, you know, thousands of people, um, Christmas parties were insane. Oh man. And, um, it was a busy, busy, busy job. Yeah. And, um, so I ran all the cafes at all, at all the different buildings. Um, and every cafe had a kitchen manager and a manager and maybe an assistant manager, depending on the size. And so I was in charge of them and, um, 
helped with mini development there. That's one of the reasons they brought me there because they kind of wanted to get out of the normal corporate dining yeah. thing. And that's sort of it what sounds, I'd... Yeah, it sounds like this is when you're making your transition away from the corporate world. Because I know you ended up going to Chewy's after that, right? Yeah, and so I, I just... You know, and at first it was taken well, and then I, I think the company just, you know, they were trying to, you know, strategically, you know, make the business more profitable and streamline things, and so they were wanting you to run menus that were created in Gaithersburg, Maryland. It's like, dude, people like chicken fried steak. They like barbecue. <laughs> they don't want your, like... Italian wedding soup down here, yeah. you know, I'm sorry. They just don't, you know? Yep. Um, and so I just sort of got kind of tired fighting that battle and I was actually going to start kind of doing home delivery meals out of my house. And I got a call from a friend and they were like, Hey, you know, I'm good friends with one of the owners at Chewy's and they really need a chef. And I thought of you yeah. and, and this is like 2004, right? Yeah. Something like that. 2004. Just I a side note, like the way your, your mind works because like that, that sector is huge right now of home delivery, home cooking, right? Yeah. Even before COVID-19, um, just to kind of give the listeners an idea of like the way your mind works, like to, to have like, what even gave you that idea? I'm curious. Well, I just, there, I felt like there was a good opportunity to, get like an affordable chef made meal yeah. somewhere between the, you know, mine was going to be somewhere between seven and 10 bucks. Yeah. And you know, but really good food, healthy, delivered to your doorstep, ready to go. Kind of a I mean, meal plan. You, situation. You did all right with torches. So it's not like it's, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did all right with torches. Um, and so anyway, so I went to work with the Chewy's guys. It, it wasn't really in their Chewy's concept. It was a place called Lucy's Boatyard, which used to be on Lake Austin. Okay. Next to the Hula Hut. And um, so was that at this point, do you know you want to do your own thing? Or are you still trying to figure out? Were you trying to get away from the corporate world so you can learn more about the independent side of things? I, I was definitely having the itch okay. and I was wanting to scratch it um, to do my own thing. And, and I sort of knew in the back of my head that like, if I was ever going to have a family, if I was going to be a father, like, you know, I, my big thing was I wanted to own my own time. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's, it's hard to do that unless you're a business owner. Mm -hmm. Um, and even then you don't necessarily always own it, but you yeah. have a little more control over it. Yeah. And so, um, and also I wanted to create opportunities for people. Yes. You know, I was getting frustrated with just, there was these great capable folks, especially in that Marriott system where I was, yeah. you know, and I don't know if it's true on the hotel side, but just in the corporate dining side where I was, I was just watching a lot of people get passed up. Then it's just like, they didn't really have any opportunity to sort of grow unless yeah. they were willing to move like halfway across the country. Yeah. And so, um, that was another big thing I said to myself. If I ever start something, I want to do it so I can create opportunities for yes. people. And like that's what it means. The, the the best brands out there realize that if I don't give this person an opportunity, this all-star I have on my team an opportunity, they're gonna get it someplace else. Yeah. And, and it's just about relationships and investing in relationships and giving people opportunity. I mean, there's so much that's just like instinctual in you that comes out early in your story. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to, to, to to make too many assumptions, no, but, uh, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, um, you want to give opportunity to people. Um, did you, so 
did you have the idea for Torchies at this point? Did, did, did you learn anything at Chewy's that you think kind of set you up for being able to do your own thing? Yeah, so the good thing about that job, and I'm really grateful for the owners, uh, Mike Young and John Zapp, uh, that started Chewy's. Great guys. Um, and they, I, so I got the opportunity to work side by side with, you know, real deal, successful restaurant owners. Mm-hmm. And I got to see how they think and why they made certain decisions about certain things. And, you know, not so much from, you know, what the, the managers and stuff in the industry. Like I was sat with them pretty regularly around just, you know, and also working on this concept and then also just sort of their, their whole premise around food and not just accepting, you know, just mediocrity mm-hmm. and, you know, like, well, that sauce is good, but I don't know. It could it be better, you know? And so that was, that was real instrumental and just sort of how mainly how they just sort of thought about the restaurant business. How, how did they think about the restaurant business that impacted you? Um, it was just a quality over, you know, yeah, they they were real, they were real big on quality. They were real big on people, um, which was also to me, but I sort of got to see it on more of a macro level, you know, as like from an owner's point of view. And so, um, what did that new perspective do for you? Well, I think, I think it got me ready to be able to open my own thing is what it really did for me. What specifically? Um, Ah, God, you put me on the that's spot. That's what you I do, man. Bastard. I pull back the layers. Bastard, but you know, like, you, like you're saying, like the, the, this new perspective allowed you to see the, the, the specific things. Specifically, it sounds around culture that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. What were they doing? What perspective did they give you from an independent standpoint in the independent sector that you didn't wouldn't have otherwise had if you didn't give yourself this opportunity? Yeah, they, so they they worked a lot with their people. They cared a lot about their people. Um, and that really spoke to my heart, you know, and when I was in a big sort of corporate environment, you didn't get to see that, you know, you'd see it sort of intermittently. Too many points removed. Yeah. And so, and, and that really sort of gave me the hope of like, you know, yeah, you could, you could be a business owner. You don't have to be a prick. Like, Mm. you know, you can love your people. You can, you know, love on them. You can develop them and just, you know, I got to hear stories about, you know, guys that were bussers that, you know, were running their own restaurants now and yeah. that were, you know, and so that gave me a lot of inspiration and just sort of how they thought about it. And, and also that, you know, a lot like me, they, they weren't, it wasn't some big business plan they wrote up, you know, it was they thought a lot from inspiration, like they get inspired by something. Mm. And rather than have all these rules around it, they would just go out and do it and try it. And that's kind of what they were doing with Lucy's Boatyard. Like they didn't want like a Joe's Crab Shack or somebody to come in. They wanted to keep it local. And so they um, took the lease and they're like, man, we'll figure it out. Like, you know, and so kind of started with like burgers and fried seafood and, you know, it was, God, it was such a hard place to run, man. It was 500 <laughs> seats, three different levels. It had been a bunch of different places. But your servers were in shape. Yeah, they were, <laughs> man. They were, you know, I think we'd, on a busy shift, we'd have something like 20, 20 25 servers, you know, when we were really well, cranking. I'm guessing the other thing this probably did for you, I don't know what the world of working for like companies like, like you know, Dell and Enron at the time when they were doing good, Disney, uh, 
I mean, these are some really well-known brands. They probably had decent budgets. When you're going from that corporate setting with with deep pockets, um, and I'm making assumptions here, um, and then going to the you know the, the world of um, independent operators where you really have smaller margins, you really got to pay attention to that bottom line. Yeah. Did that weigh in at all? I'm curious. Yeah, it did uh, for sure. Um, just you know, in terms of how, um, we thought about spending money, you know, and, and it, it's funny cause you know, on one hand they wouldn't want to spend money on certain things, but the things that counted, they had no problem spending money on. And so I sort of learned kind of what like, were the things that counted, Yeah, you know, like equipment, things that were going to make the job better. Why uh, do those or, things count or produce a better product? Um, well, so the, you know, depending on the equipment and what it is, um, you know, like if you're going to do pizzas for instance, so they, they, you know, one of the owners hired this famous pizza chef from Florence, Italy, and he flew down. His name was Massimo and we had pretty badass pizzas there, yeah. you know, and he helped us develop the pizza dough and, I think the the point, and I think it's the, the message is here, but you got to give your people the tools they need to be successful. Exactly. And if the tools aren't working, then you can't hold them accountable. Yeah. So you got to spend the money on those. And things. if you're going to make great Italian pizza, you better have a damn good oven to cook it in. Yeah. You know, you can't just, you know, bust out some ghetto exactly. pizza. Oven, How do we start you know? this, this conversation? <laughs> yeah. Details, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love it. So I, I, I think we're at the point now where we can take our break because this is when you start taking your vision and start living intentionally to do your own thing, right? Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Listen, Margin Edge people are restaurant people. They want to keep it simple. Heck, their own CEO even owns two restaurants. And to acknowledge the hardship on our industry, Margin Edge is offering their full platform free for new customers until September. To learn more, go to me.marginedge.com slash restaurant hyphen unstoppable. So what the heck is Margin Edge anyway? Margin Edge is the only restaurant management system to combine automatic invoice processing with POS and accounting integrations. This improves financial performance, visibility, and efficiency. It all starts with snapping a photo of your invoice with your smartphone. Margin Edge takes it from there. Every line item, every handwritten note is captured. Margin Edge then integrates with your POS, so each day you know everything you bought and everything you sold. Margin Edge creates a rolling p with drill down capability and it flows effortlessly to your accounting system of choice. Additionally, Margin Edge does data entry of all your invoices, updates pricing on your inventory sheets, that's food and beverage, updates your ordering sheets, keeps your recipes, prep and plated prices up to date with real time kitchen recipe viewer alerts you if prices of key ingredients have jumped determines theoretical food and beverage costs slash usage versus actual usage eliminates cutting and mailing checks you'll pay vendors straight through the platform so what are you waiting for head to me.marginedge.com slash restaurant hyphen unstoppable so we're back and the year is 2005, 2006, you, 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 you have your own vision. Take us through that vision. What was your vision for Torchies? Okay. So it wasn't this huge vision. It was, um, you know, I was finally sort of like, okay, I, yeah, I was tired. I'd been working just tons of hours and, um, I was like, man, I need a break. I'm ready to, 
do something different, you know, and I don't know what it is. I, I knew I wanted to do my own thing. Um, and I just sort of needed to gather my thoughts. Um, and as I was ready to take this nice break, <laughs> my friend Bill, who was my original partner, had an old barbecue trailer that was ended up being the original Torchy's trailer. He said, hey, man, what do you think about opening a taco truck? And I looked down and I said, dude, you're nuts. Like, what are you talking about? We're not going to open a taco truck in Austin, You mean Texas. to tell me I should be sitting across from Bill right now? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, now Bill was very instrumental in helping uh, Torchy's be what it is today, okay. especially in those beginning days. Um, he's a good friend of mine. And uh, he... Yeah, so we started to talk about it, and you know, I realized, and so I said, "Well, let's let's go eat a bunch of tacos, and let's kind of see what's out there," you know. And what I started seeing was there's a lot of great tacos out there, and I all over Austin, went to Dallas, Houston, down into the Valley, down into San Antonio, and uh, just realized like they're all kind of the same, you know, they're all sort of like authentic kind of Mexican street style tacos, nothing wrong with them. They're great. They do what they do. But I thought like, well, what if we could take tacos and kind of flip them on their head? And I've got this plethora of experience with all these different ingredients. I know the basics of, you know, Central American cuisine, Mexican cuisine. Asian. Yeah. How do you take that and still, you know, honor that, but then like have fun with it, Mm. you know? And so that was sort of where Torchies was born out of, um, sort of that creativity. And, uh, I mean, from like a business perspective, you have a unique selling proposition. You're not like every other taco out there. Like you're taking the traditional taco and it's like kind of like when fusion was, uh, really starting to emerge, right? This idea of like, who says you can't do this, right? Yeah. And just do it. And like the sky's the limit. Creativity is the limit. Um, and how did like, so instantly what did that do for you? Having something that was unlike anything else? Well, I think what it did was it helped because, you know, look, if you have a, just let's call it a barbacoa taco and you're going to eat that barbacoa taco, well, you're going to compare that to the barbacoa taco you had on the street in Mexico City the first time you ever had it. It's never going to be and as good. And it's never going to be as yeah. good, you know? And so you're, you're fighting that battle. Um, the other battle you're fighting is, um, you know, there's a lot of competition in that same sort of realm. You know, you're competing against 30 other great barbacoa tacos. Yep. Um, and two, it, it's just never been my style to sort of stick to that. Like I'm always sort of like, okay, this is sort of the traditional way you do it, but how can you put a twist on it? Yeah. You know, make it your own. yeah, make it your own. And I think a lot of chefs try to do that, especially nowadays. And so, um, it was really about just having fun yeah. and 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 doing something different and yeah. using the tortilla as the base. Yeah, and like that's the 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 beautiful thing about creating something that is has never been done before. You're instantly the best at it because you're the sta- you become the new standard, right? Yeah, and but. you can't like you you know and and that's sort of why we've got some of the the names for the tacos. It's like rather than call it the fried chicken taco, which is kind of boring, but you know you know. You haven't had a trailer park anywhere else, so yeah, you got exactly. nowhere to compare it to, mm-hmm. and so you get to have this fresh experience of like what a Torchy's trailer park is yep. like, and you'll either love it or you won't. So and- this was all before 
food trucks were a big thing. I think it's a really important thing to point out, right? This is like food trucks weren't a thing like they are today. No, not even close. Yeah. So when we, so that we started August 1st, 2006 and around that same sort of couple months, there was us flip happy crepes who used to be in business in Austin and then Hey cupcake. We were all kind of starting and we all had trailers and we, None of us knew each other or knew that we were doing it at the same time, yeah. but we'd run into each other and it just sort of emerged. And I think we were all just sort of young entrepreneurs and that was the only way we could afford to do it. And so we were like, screw it, you know, let's do it. And yeah. so, um, you know, we'd gone to banks, nobody was going to give us half a million bucks to open some new concept that didn't have any proven concept. And so, uh, the trailer was kind of a way to do that, and it turned into this kind of cool, hip thing. And in the beginning, man, people, they didn't want to come eat out of a trailer, you know, because it was, oh, that's a road coach, or that's yeah. this, you yeah. know. And so, um, you know, but I've always run it like a restaurant. And, um, you know, even in just the trailer, like if I said I was open at 7, I opened at 7. Yep. We said we were staying open till 10. We stayed open till 10. How are you pushing it? How are you marketing yourself in the early days? So early on, so I used to have a red Vespa and uh, I, you know, put a big old basket on the back of it and I'd hand out free chips and salsa and I'd put them in anybody's mouth. I could go, I'd go into salons, <laughs> barbershops. Yeah, yes. man. I'd go yeah. into, um, you know, little architect firms and lawyer firms and, uh, you know, anywhere I could go and would just shove food in their mouth. And uh, I used to get some of the servers from the boatyard. They'd come help me out because uh, initially we were right on 5th and Lamar before we moved to South 1st. Okay. And we were only there for about a month and a half. And uh, we'd hand out free breakfast tacos with all the traffic stopped there. So what's the power in free food and handing stuff out in the early days? Well, I, I'm a big believer if if – you know, if you can get it in their mouths and they like it, hopefully they'll come back. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so I gave lots of food away, you know, I mean, I, I, I think sort of the traditional, you know, not so much these days, but, you know, definitely back then, you know, the advertising and putting an ad in the paper and all that, you know, the newspapers will hate me for this, but, um, you know, I, I, I think that works for when you're more established and you're trying to get people like, Oh yeah. I mean, I haven't had a burger at that place. At that point you're while. just a reminder. You're like, Oh yeah. It's been a while since I've been to Torchies, but, yeah. but until you don't, you got to build trust with the brand first. Right? Yeah. And so in order to do that is like really getting the food in people's mouths, you yeah. know, and we still do that today. Anytime we open a place, um, we give away free food at our grand opening parties and, and we invite the neighborhood and have them come in and try it and it's free and hopefully they love it and they come back. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of assuming for the, the money to get started with this, with what was the initial investment you needed for the trailer? Um, I want to say it, I spent somewhere between 60 and a hundred thousand bucks. Okay. And um, was Bill a part of this initial, was he thrown into like, what yeah, was that he, he put in, he put in up his share of the 60,000 or so bucks too. Okay. Um, and so about 120 altogether, 130. Yeah. Altogether. Somewhere in there. Yeah. 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 So uh, I think another benefit the, the path you took, there's a lot of security in the corporate world. I'm, I mean, I'm assuming you were probably yeah, all my friends more. thought I was nuts. <laughs> yeah. But, but at the same time, I'm, you probably had insurance. You were probably putting money away. You probably had money that you, did you have to go to banks to get the money or were you saving up? 
I mean, I was, I, you know, I, I hadn't made tons of money, you know, in the, the corporate dining world. They didn't pay chefs that great. Okay. Um, even though I had some great, you'd think high profile jobs, but I was still, I was still young. I mean, yeah. I started torches at 32. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, and I, I just think, um, you know, there were some kind of, Hey, this guy's young. We could pay him less, you know, even though I try to argue for more salary, um, wasn't always in my favor per se, but I, um, took a loan out of my house, maxed out a bunch of credit cards and you do what you um, gotta do, right? just figured it out, man. Yeah. So how long did it take you to go from the trailer to your first brick and mortar? So our first brick and mortar was in 08. So it took about two years. Okay. Um, we had a commissary kitchen, which is where Holy Cow Burgers is now. Okay. In a little convenience store over off Lamar. We, and we sold tacos out of there, but it wasn't like a, a real brick and mortar for us. Was it always your, your, your objective to open a brick and mortar? Or? Yes. Okay. It always was. So I, I always, the, the goal was always to go from a, you know, trailer to a, a restaurant. Now, 75 restaurants? No, but definitely <laughs> at least one restaurant. Yeah. So what would you, would you advise somebody to do, to take the path that you took today with the, the world, how it's changed, the landscape with how it's changed? Do you think that there's the same opportunity in trailers now that there was back then? Is it still the same move? You know, I don't know. I, I think Trailer, no trailer. I mean, I, I think it's it's hard to run a trailer. There's um, you've got weather to deal with, um, heat. heat. You've got rain when it's really cold. You're at the mercy. Yeah, you're at the mercy of that. So that makes it really difficult. And there's a lot of um, it's not as cheap running day to day operations as you would think. Maybe there's a little less staff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, maintenance. propane's expensive, maintenance. I mean, you know, if you have any kind of business, you beat the hell out of those trailers. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot, you know, and then you have the expense of the commissary and then you have to transport that food to it, and, you know, or drive it back and forth. And so there's yeah. there's a lot involved. Yeah. And my, my main thing is more about, you know, hey, find something you're passionate about. If you really want to start a business, don't do it for the money. Do it because you're passionate yes. about it. And, um, you know, maybe the money will come, maybe it won't, but if you're doing something you love, then you don't really need the money to keep doing it. Cause exactly. it's something you love doing. I love it. Um, so what was that transition like going from your, do you, were you still operating the, the trailers while doing the, the brick and mortar? Yep. In the beginning we were. Yeah. Okay. So what was that transition like? Um, it felt a lot more roomy, I bet. <laughs> you know, we, uh, I was like, oh man, I can breathe again. We have a, we have a bathroom indoors we can use. Um, that was nice. Um, it was, well, we had to start, you know, now we had to start really like hiring some managers and stuff. Um, and so that, that was tough, even though I'd done it in my past, this was my baby. I was like, oh man, I got to trust these people that they're yeah. really going to you know, make these tacos good while I'm not here. And this is before you had your Torchy's core values, right? I mean, you had your core values, but you hadn't committed them to paper yet. Yeah. I mean, we sort of toyed with them here and there, but it wasn't like a whole thing yet. Um, it was sort of just kind of underground. They were sort of floating, but we hadn't really named them yet. And okay. so, um, you know, it was, it was, you know, in, you know, to get somebody at that time, like, Hey dude, you're, we're going to hire you as a manager of a trailer. They're kind of like, uh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so it was hard to find good 
qualified folks. Um, and so we did a lot of developing within, you know, I took a lot of my cooks and cashiers and, you know, promoted them and worked with them and trained them. How much experience did they have? You know, a lot of them, not much, you know, some some of them, it was their first job. Some of them, um, had been in some rough spots in their life and we were kind of giving them their second chance and, you know, they were rising to the occasion and do, you know, doing better for themselves. And so, um, and some, I had some experience It just, it kind of ran the gamut to be honest with you. Yeah. So, um, reflecting over this, this 14 years, right. And we're in a, we're, I just want to focus on the, the biggest lessons you've learned, like maybe the hardest points in your career when you were scaling, uh, that were the biggest challenges for you. What were those? Um, you know, the funny thing is, um, we've, you know, because we've been so sort of like scrappy, um, from the beginning, you know, we've definitely had our share of some financial challenges throughout the years, um, getting over our skis a little bit. At what point did you get over your skis? Uh, well, we were over our skis the first three, four years in business, to be honest <laughs> with you, you know, uh, I didn't even know where the skis were at that point. Um, <laughs> you know, we were just, uh, doing everything we could just to keep the lights on and people paid and everything else. Um, and, you know, I think those first couple times we sort of got a little more intentional with growing. Mm-hmm. You know, we bit off maybe a little more than we could chew. Um, but we, you know, we always something would happen. And, you know, I, I learned the other thing I learned real early on with Torchies was that, that this this was bigger than me was um, just sort of how our customers reacted to the brand. They really responded to the brand, the logo, the food. And I just knew that it was, you know, it was bigger than me. And I've always had this sort of kind of faith that like things are just going to work out. Yeah. And, um, you know, do I get in fear about stuff? Of course. Do I worry sometimes? Of course. Um, but kind of underneath all that, there's still a part of me that like, you know, Hey, this, I just, this brand really comes from an inspired place and it, it, I, I think it's meant to be out there in the world and it needs to be out there for whatever reason. I I think that changes on a daily basis. I get stories since we've been in business of people getting engaged. Um, just some of the things we've been able to help and do in the community have been just amazing. Some of the experiences we've had from customers. So the, the question that's coming to my mind right now is what is the secret to creating a brand that's bigger than yourself? Because it's something that you mentioned too is that you didn't want the brand to depend on you. You wanted to be able to control your time. So how do you create something that doesn't need, a, that doesn't hinge on a person, a single person that's greater than one person? Well, I, you know, I go back to what we said earlier in terms of, you know, hiring people that are better than you, Mm. um, you know, finding people that are great at, you know, if I suck at finances, which I'm not that good at, I understand them. I, I can read them all that, but I don't have the patience for it. Find someone who's really good at finances. Yep. Um, if I don't know construction, like go find someone that's great at construction. Um, if I'm not that good at, Marketing, find someone that's good at marketing, you know, I mean, or HR or whatever it is, you know, find the people that are great at that, let them succeed, let them own their 
part of the business and trust them, you yeah. know, and have real open dialogue with them. I love it. I don't care if we talk about COVID, do you? Uh, no, we're good. Uh, okay. I, think, I, think, I think people have heard enough about it. So one question before we go to the speed round is the, the mission statement is to inspire and empower and transform the industry. How have you transformed over the past however many years you've been in this industry? Um, uh, I've, I've learned, uh, how to be much more patient. Um, I think I've matured a lot in a lot of ways. Um, I used to be pretty reactive. Um, I sort of came from that chef world of, you know, yelling and screaming. I, I got brought up with a decent amount of that early on before I was a chef. Um, I vowed that I didn't want to be that chef, um, but you know, there, there were times where I lost my temper, wasn't proud of those moments, um, yeah. and had to learn through that. Um, and I've also, I, I've, I think I've really developed, developed my people skills with people. I'm, um, I've always been a pretty aware person of other people's personalities, uh, but I feel like that's just gotten better over time just because of the amount of people yeah. you have to deal with in this business. And, um, yeah, I'd say those are some of the bigger things that I've it. definitely taken away from it. One more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. You hear me say it all the time on the show. This industry is all about relationships and people, but even though you might be geared towards relationships and people, you still need to know your numbers. And if numbers is not your thing, I got to tell you about this book, QuickBooks for Restaurants, a bookkeeping and accounting guide by Zach Weiner. This is the back office restaurant accounting guide you've been searching for. Zach Weiner covers accounting fundamentals, including sales tracking, purchasing, bill paying, invoicing, managing day-to-day -day liabilities, gift certificate tracking, cash management, detailed reporting, and so much more. Ultimately, Zach shows owners and operators how to create the accurate financials and reporting that will enable them to make better informed data-driven decisions. To learn more and to get Zach's book, head to zachweiner.com slash unstoppable. That's Z-A-C-W-E. I N E R dot com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, if you use that link, you will save 50% off a one on one consulting call. Yeah, that's right. What are you waiting for? Did you know Toast is the number one most recommended POS on Restaurant Unstoppable? I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that more than two-thirds of their employees have worked in the restaurant industry. And I'm feeling pretty confident that it has something to do with their commission-free online ordering, which is a hot ticket right now, which lets guests easily order directly from restaurants for pickup or contactless delivery to keep revenue flowing during these uncertain times. They even have delivery services, which dispatches local drivers through an on-demand network to keep your community fed and revenue coming. Regardless of the reason why people are recommending Toast, I highly recommend you go check them out during this industry-wide pause. To learn more, head to toasttab.com unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, for a limited time, get one month of free POS software, three months of free digital ordering tools and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000. One more time, that's toasttab.com. 
dot com slash unstoppable you have to use that link to save one thousand dollars we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success my it factor oh um tenacity what's your biggest weakness Biggest weakness, uh, impatience. What's one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building a team? I ask or look for when I'm building a team. Um, In a person. And this is more of a sentence. So we have this thing. It's like if I can drive to El Paso and back with them and not want to throw them out of the car, <laughs> they're probably somebody I want to work with on a daily basis. I think that's how I became a commercial pilot. Yeah. Um, what's one of your biggest challenges today? Biggest challenges? Um just you know maintaining the uh the integrity of the brand as it started and how are you overcoming that uh focusing a lot on culture and uh food quality what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team this is a core value a way to be uh it's part of our core values we talked about them earlier respect honor having integrity What's one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within the four walls of your restaurants, but not common throughout the industry to go above and beyond. Uh, I don't know if it's uncommon or not, but we preach it a lot is basically treating our customers like family. Mm. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner or operator? One Minute Manager is a great book. Biggest lesson from that book? Um, Just... Uh, it talks a lot about, you know, just different teams and sort of the process and what they go through. And, um, that helped kind of normalize a lot of, you know, we've hired tons of people and so it helped normalize sort of the struggles we go through with that. And what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Um, I think the focus on the food they focus too much on the food or they don't focus enough on the food? They don't focus enough on the food. Okay. All right. And uh, specifically the quality or the integrity, all of that? All yeah. Above? And I, I don't, you know, I'm not saying that like us versus them necessarily, but, um, you know, why, you know, people are coming there to eat. Yeah. So the food better be damn good, I love you it. know, and yeah. we focus a lot on the food. So what is one service you've hired or outsourced to? This isn't necessarily a technology or a tool, but a person and skill sets from maybe it's a, uh, organization that you've outsourced to like marketing or whatever. I uh, would definitely have used some PR firms and some legal firms to help us with some stuff. Can you mention them by name so we can get a referral? Oh God, who have we used? Um, T3 we've used uh, for do a lot of marketing stuff. Yeah, edible. <laughs> <laughs> and what about for lawyers? Uh, God, I don't remember the names. Who uh, uh, put me on the spot. I know, that's what I do, man. I'm sorry. You're doing great. You're doing great. Uh, what is one thing you feel, uh, or sorry, what is one piece of technology you've outsourced to recently that's had a huge impact on your operation? Oh, God, you're really throwing me off the books here. This is this is why you surround yourself with people who are smarter than yeah, you. Yeah, right? exactly. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, we've we we hired a, a chief. 
technology officer, and she's brought a lot of resources to the table. So, and I, I'm not sure if everything she's using, but you know, she's definitely bringing a lot of resources you, to the you table. You got somebody for that. I totally yeah. get it. Um, okay, so this is the last question, and it's a doozy. So get ready for it. Right. Uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your uh, your your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you can leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those things be? Treat people with respect. Um, be the best you can be. And, you know, I, I think, you know, follow your dreams and your passion. I love it, man. This has been a great conversation, Mike. Thank you so much. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. I believe you've been recommended at least three or four times on the show. That's why we're here talking to you. Okay, I'm awesome. happy we made it happen. And who do you respect? and admire and believe and make a great guest mentor like you made for us today. Uh, you know, I think you guys should uh, talk to old Tyson Cole over at Uchi. Yes. He's, uh, I just really respect what he does. One of my favorite restaurants that I go to um, does a great job with the food. He's got a great culture in his organization. The amount of people that I've interviewed who came up underneath that restaurant, that, that group is a testament to the the greatness that's going on over there. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. He's definitely something you guys, somebody you guys need to talk to. And if we're interested in maybe coming and joining your team or we have questions about anything, what's the best way to connect if you're in social or anything like that, or if maybe we're just interested in joining your team, is there a website? Yeah, just torchestacos.com. Um, we have, you know, obviously a lot of job opportunities on there. Um, into the restaurants, if it's more of a restaurant level, you know, job, but yep. let's say torches.com is, or through our social channels would be great. Beautiful. Awesome. Uh, this is episode 729. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 729 for a summary of today's discussion, as well as any books, tools, or services recommended. It'll be linked to over there. Uh, Mike, again, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, and your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. All right. Thank you, brother. Cheers. Good to see you. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Yes, Mike Ripka killing it on restaurants. Unstoppable. Some great takeaways from today's conversation. I wish I could have gotten more uh, time to, to, to get into more of what was going on. Uh, since they've been scaling over there. Uh, they're at 75 locations now. But you know what? Mike, if you're up for it, man, I'm up for it. I'd love to get you back on the show in a couple of years. We can pick up where we left off. And uh, some really great things came from today's conversation. Uh, I'm actually not too worried that we didn't get so much into uh, the Torchy's Taco story because really uh, something I want to communicate to my listeners is that behind every great restaurant is a great person. And we're only as good as the, the people behind the restaurants. So really we, we got Mike's come up store. We, we figured out, you know, where he got his values and what his values are and the lessons he got on his come up and all those lessons that he got or, or what made him into the man that made him, that has made Torchy's tacos so successful. And the big takeaways for me, this idea of letting your people contribute, leaning on your people, like literally asking them for advice, letting them be a part of the creative process. And when you let them be a part of the creation, they're going to own it like they created it because they did. And that's so, so powerful. And I, I love this idea of gamification, having fun at work and, you know, just being right there shoulder to shoulder with your people. And then knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses and knowing when to get the heck out of the way. I mean, there are some questions that Mike couldn't even answer today about Torchy's Tacos just because he's, 
got so much trust in the people he surrounded himself with. He knows where he's he's strong, and he knows where other people are strong, and he gets out of the way. And it it can be scary to give up that kind of you know control of your business, but it's also so freeing. And sometimes in the right conditions, you can go so much further together with others. So great stuff today. Uh, I want to remind you guys that. Uh, we are looking for your support. So the best way you can support this show is by leaving a review over at iTunes. If you haven't done that, it would be great. Uh, sharing this sucker. Anybody you know aspiring to be great in the industry, please share this episode with them. And another thing you can do starting right now is we've, uh, we're starting to share our Venmo. So if you Venmo Restaurant Unstoppable, whatever you can. I know you guys are up against it, but you know it's trickling up the stream now and we're struggling too to, to find sponsors and every little bit helps. So thank you in advance. And I think that's it for today. But thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.